Sound of Hockey episode 123. We're calling this one the Mark Stone episode. Why are we calling it that, John? Well, Mark Stone, the Vegas Golden Knight, he's pretty good at hockey, but at one time he played for the Brandon Wheat Kings uh-huh. of the WHL. Which is 123 miles northeast of Seattle. Uh, yeah. No, maybe <laughs> kilometers. I don't know. No, Brandon's a little further away than yes. that. But. I think kilometers <laughs> are shorter than a, than a mile, but that's okay. Carry on. <laughs> But he scored 123 points in the 2011-2012 season. So, Mark Stone, good at hockey. Do you know who his coach was there? Jason Botterill. No, but you're on the right track. His coach uh, was Ron Vegas general, Vegas general Kelly manager. Kelly McCrimmon. Hey! Yeah. You know what's interesting, Andy? Yes? Is, um, according to HockeyDB, mm-hmm. it's Corey Clouston. Was the coach? So not... Yeah. Oh, well, then McCrimmon was GM. Then McCrimmon was. GM. Oh, oh. Okay. He, he coached. He went back and forth. I mean, the coach, the GM, the coach, the GM. Darren, Darren, we have to have a word about our WHL correspondent. <laughs> like this is like two weeks in a row. There was major blunder. Yeah. Right? He didn't bring I don't know. Ty Smith last week. I feel I mean, a little we got weird a lot about of issues it. to got to work out. Uh huh. I feel a little weird about it. Anyway, this is uh, Sound of Hockey. <laughs> I feel weird. I am Darren Brown at Darren Fun Brown on the Twitter. Joined, as always, by Andy Ide. Hello, Andy. How's it going? I'm at Andy Ide on the Twitter. And John Barr. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. I'm NHL to Seattle on the Twitter. And we are coming to you from Seattle. We're back. We're back. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen. The era is over. We're (laughs) back. Yeah. End of an era. Yes. End of an era. We mentioned that the podcast, (laughs) hockey podcast historians would be writing about that as the Minnesota era. The Minnesota era has ended. I am back in Seattle. So uh, how do you like that? We are still quite nomadic, though. We actually literally don't know where we're going to be living from February 28th through, I believe, April 2nd. So if anyone has any ideas, oh, well, that's like in four out. weeks. You got plenty of time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we're going to we're going to do like an Airbnb or something. We'll figure it out. But uh, hey, it's a good show. We have Tim Ohashi on the show and you may not know who he is, but He's awesome. He is. He is the head video analyst for the Seattle Kraken. Uh, he previously worked for the Washington Capitals for a long time, and he has stories for days, so you're going to love it. <laughs> and you know what? You're really going to learn something about a position. I learned a lot from this interview as far as what happens in the day-to-day life of a video analyst in the NHL. So uh, I think you're going to like it. Stick around for that. We start with a WHL update from our WHL correspondent who... We very much questioned uh, in recent times. <laughs> well, let's kick it over to Andy Eyed. Andy. Well, maybe I can redeem myself uh-huh. because maybe I was able to confirm today that Governor Jay Inslee, heard of him, state mm-hmm. of Washington governor? No. Has approved the WHL's return to play request for all the teams in Washington State. Mm-hmm. So they are free to play. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to start seeing hockey tomorrow. There's still a lot to work out. Like we still have to wait to hear from the teams in the division about start dates, where they're going to play, how that's all going to work. Uh, but Washington State will become the second jurisdiction because last week Alberta got the okay to play. So the Central Division in the WHL has a start date later in February. So it's creeping along, but that's some pretty good news. That's a big major hurdle that the, the U.S. Division teams uh, have, have cleared now. But to be clear, we haven't heard from the great state of Oregon, have we? We have not. So we do not. I had I had heard re, a couple weeks ago that they were going to follow Washington, but I don't have anything officially from their governor Interesting. about that. All right. I'll get on the phone with the governor of uh, Portland 
and see uh, Portland, <laughs> Portland. <laughs> see what she thinks about uh, you know whatever the Portland Winterhawks uh, being able to play hockey against Washington teams. I mean, Portland's really the only city in Oregon, so yeah, I guess so. Portland. I mean, listen, Portland is basically a state in and of itself, right? I mean, it's yes. a it's yes. a different world. So Where, uh, anyway, where's the state capital of Oregon? Salem. All right. Isn't that where the witchcraft? Uh, never mind. Uh, we also <laughs> we also have some Kraken news to share. Uh, speaking of, st- I don't know. I don't have a good segue for that one. But uh, what's the latest, Andy? I know you had a little uh, little mention of uh, some construction being completed or something yeah, like we that. Yeah, Climate Pledge Arena news. So oh. the Climate Pledge Arena has had their topping off ceremony on Friday morning. And if you're not familiar with those, the, the Northgate one had one as well. But this is the last steel beam was installed in the Climate Pledge Arena. Okay. So it's a big milestone for the arena. And I've got some, I know, I know Darren, you love construction statistics. Yeah, yeah. So I've got some. So okay. it took, to get to this point, 2,500 craft workers worked on the constru- I've been working on the building. I'm sorry, what kind of workers? Craft workers. Craft workers. Like arts okay. and craft? Uh-huh. Yeah, arts and crafts with steel okay. beams. Okay. <laughs> there were a total of 147,430 bolts were used to secure the 8.9 tons of steel that is in the building. I want to see an audit of that number, mm-hmm. honestly. And it, t- <laughs> and it took 1.3 million craft hours to get to this point as well. Wow. It's a lot of craft hours. I That's definitely imagine uh, Erica Berry, friend of the show, sitting in the front row of Climate Pledge Arena, just knitting together the arena with craft worker. <laughs> um, she's a big knitter. Some cool pictures that were out there. It's, it's a pretty big moment, so... Yeah, now they're just finishing it. There's nothing more to do, really. Right. Just finishing it. Yeah, yeah. just finishing it. It looks almost done, right? Yeah, it looks like. Well, it does look more like an arena than it used to. So I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was the only Kraken news this week, yeah. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, okay. nobody, nobody nothing else yeah. happened. Yeah, wants to talk about their TV deal or anything like that. Oh, the TV <laughs> deal. That's right. Okay, okay, fine. We'll talk about. It. So they did do us a little dirty because we recorded on Monday last week, and then they dropped the news on Tuesday morning about. About hiring John Forsland as their uh, play-by-play announcer and also their partnership with Root Sports, which has gone over swimmingly well, I think, in the Pacific Northwest. John, what's the uh, what's the latest hubbub? I, it seems like the fans are thrilled about this partnership. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, they are. Uh, so they've selected to go with Root Sports in the exclusive, essentially, distribution of their games. Yeah. Uh, seventy-five game, At least 75 games will be on. They're going to have Kraken shows. If you're a Mariner fan, you know Root Sports well because that's where the Mariners are hosted. And to top that off, the Mariners own Root Sports or they're 70% Mm -hmm. owners of Root Sports. So naturally, people reacted as you might think people react. Not happy that there's no streaming option. Right. So this is a complex situation that is not as easy as just adding streaming. Mm -hmm. So what does streaming mean? And for our listeners, we've had a lot of discussion about this offline, prepping or just getting general reactions and talking about this. Darren, if you don't mind me putting you on the spot, you weren't super stoked with this option, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's actually like it does directly affect me because this means that for me to be able to watch games on TV, I literally have to subscribe to cable now, which I have not been doing for the last two years. So, uh, and I've enjoyed that. I like that you can turn things on and off and whatnot. And so the issue is that Root Sports is not on Hulu and it's not on Sling. It's not on anything like that. So it is what it is. Like, I'm, I'm not upset about it. I am going to just subscribe to cable because it is what it is. And I don't, 
I don't really care that much at the end of the day. I just, I don't really want to do like a year long contract with stupid cable just to be able to watch the Kraken, but I'm obviously going to do it. Now, my concern is that there's probably a lot of people like me in my same boat that don't care enough about hockey to subscribe to cable to be able to get root sports. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I, t- I totally agree. There's a lot of people in your kind of mindset and and specifically your demographic being younger. But I will tell you, there's a lot more people that are cable subscribers that are casually interested in the Kraken. Yeah. You will hit way more households with root sports. And of course, ideally, they were to add more um, distribution and specifically the issue is root sports isn't on YouTube TV, Hulu Plus, mm-hmm. Sling. Fubu. I don't think it's on Fubu either, is it? Is it's that not. Fubo? It's not. There Fubo. might be some pressure, but Fubu. Fubu shirts. <laughs> well, there's a lot of research here, and there's this, and so people are upset. But the reality is, very few regional sport networks that carry NHL teams are on these same streaming services. Mm-hmm. So it's very consistent with the rest of the landscape across the U.S. as far as RSNs and NHL deals. Right now, I will say I haven't been able to get confirmed. But somewhere I read that this was only a five-year agreement. That's very, very short when it comes to TV deals. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's the shortest I've ever seen. I've seen yeah. an eight-year one, which was an extension of one. Mm-hmm. And I've seen, I think the Sharks are on a 25-year contract. Wow. The NHL team is getting probably, $20 million is about the target for a market this size. So they're getting $20 million a year from Root to be on their Well, platform. you're guessing that though, right? You don't know that for sure. It's a pretty educated guess. Okay. And the Times quoted 15 to $30 million. I've always had $20 million in based on everything I've read in prior deals. Okay. So I just want to kind of tee this up. The Sharks, keep in mind, they're on a 25, 30-year deal. They're getting $7 million a year. That's hmm. how brutal their TV contract is. Man. And and maybe there's a scenario where Root Sports is distributed on YouTube TV and Hulu Plus, live TV, that is, and Sling. But the issue is also on their side, meaning the, the other distributor side, Sling, uh, YouTube, Hulu. They have to negotiate too, and they just cut a bunch of RSNs in the last like six months. What does RSN stand um, for? Regional Sport Networks. That's that's Root Sports is a regional sport network. Got it. So I know people aren't happy, and I think I mentioned this in an article two months ago that ideally the Kraken figure a way to hit both demographics, if you will, the people that are traditional cable subscribers as well as the kind of new streaming folks yeah and there is an age gap between those two like and so a lot of younger people are going to have streaming packages and seattle is indexing more younger and tech savvy but it's unfortunate Mm -hmm. but i think that's they had to kind of figure out how to get in the most households and unfortunately root sports was the scenario that they had to go with you're okay to be upset with i'm saying generally people i i get it yeah and you should make your voice heard addressing it with your streaming provider or whatever but it stinks and it's a tough spot that they were in and i mean at the end of the day you know i wrote this in my weekly one-timers post as well that i don't have a super strong opinion about this myself right but yeah it does kind of feel like for the first time you know, because the Kraken have been so cutting edge and like so careful to always put the fan first and like do do right by the fan. And first glance, this doesn't feel like that. It feels a little bit unkraken of them. But also at some point they have to make a decision that benefits them financially. And like who is going to throw a bigger bag of money at them, Root Sports or somebody that's a smaller network and has a smaller reach yeah. on cable, you know? So I get it. I'm, I'm not like 
I'm not upset about it. I know a lot of people are upset and you know, those people are also going to be the ones that make their voices heard. Right. If you, if you have root yeah. sports already and they announce that they're you're on root sports, you're not going to go online and be like, Oh, root sports. Super. Like, We're right know, on. you know, okay. That's as <laughs> so, I planned it. I totally agree with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like certainly the Kraken is, you know, if you could invent hockey from scratch, like how would you do it? And that's what they tend to do is figure out how to like broaden the game and get it exposed to as many people as possible. And I totally agree. But I do think root was the avenue to get in the most households. Mm. Not to get a little bit morbid, but I I believe Paul Allen, if Paul Allen was still alive, like he would have kind of figured out and they would have collaborated with the Kraken and figured a way to come up with their own RSN and make Mm -hmm. it break down all those traditional barriers that kind of prevents it to get into streaming areas and maybe even go directly to the consumer because it's about kind of trying to monetize, but also like look to the future. And I know Paul Allen was the type of person that is okay to lose money for the long-term benefit of, of getting into more households and, and kind of being more cutting edge. Mm-hmm. So, and then the other thing is I would love, love, love to know how Andy Jassy thinks about this. So mm. he's, mm. he's one of the minority owners, technology focused people tend to think about kind of breaking down barriers, particularly Amazon, who's such a consumer minded company, you know, to make it easy, to make it easier for the, the consumer to get the products. Like this is ripe for the taking, but it's been like this for, for ages. And they've been talking about breaking this barrier for like 10 years. And so it's just an old school business model that's kind of locking them in and and the Kraken are forced to do this. Again, I want to talk call out the five year agreement if that's the case. That's kind of ripe for well, the world but, can change. That, that yeah, world can change and, and they're like, okay, five years, you kind of weather this, you get more households, mm-hmm. and the landscape's going to hopefully change. But And what you just said resonates with me because I, I am older and not tech savvy, but have cut cable. <laughs> and uh, yeah. for me personally, when I did it, I knew I was going to lose things like Ruth Sports. And like, I knew like watching the Mariners was going to be tougher to do. But I still found a way to do it. I understand why people are upset, but I really don't know that they had a better option here in this market today at this at this point in time. You know, they're not going to go with like Joe TV over the air because that that limits your reach. Root root gets gets them in the Northwest, like not just Seattle and Washington State. Yeah. Uh, you know, even that 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 one out of Portland, the, the whatever it is, the NBC Sports Northwest has a limited appeal, and that's not available everywhere. Uh, so I, th- I think this was as far as getting the most people watching. This actually was the better route, and maybe the only one right now. But I think what you're saying in five years is is very important because, as we all know, technology you know trends in this kind of field change drastically. In, in five years, is, is the technology could advance so much more in five years that they'll be able to look to reevaluate at that point. And the other piece of this, I mean, we mentioned that John Forslund got hired, and this yeah. is awesome, right? And it kind of stinks because. <laughs> There's so much negativity around this root thing, which I I don't think there should be this much negativity, but there is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, frankly, the big news out of it was who they got to be the play-by-play announcer, which, again, John Forslund, who I think is a legendary play-by-play announcer. And, John, I mean, I remember back in, I think it was August when, (laughs) you know, we found out that he wasn't going to have his contract extended by the Hurricanes. And you and I were tweeting back and forth at each other like, oh, could be John Forslund for the Kraken, right? So, sure enough, here he comes. I think we both had tweets from back in, like, July, honestly, where it was like, Mm -hmm. you were saying, oh, the future Crap Weasel, right? Mm -hmm. Because you said Crap Weasel, so it was before the Kraken even had the name. So that was probably June, right? Mm-hmm. July 1st is when his contract was up. 
So yeah. it had to have been early July. I remember saying, hey, somebody to keep an eye on. And I thought it was unlikely because he's such a so good. And I yeah. know there was talks about <laughs> him maybe getting to Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay had somebody rolled off from their TV. Mm-hmm. Well, and Doc Emmerich uh, was leaving NBC. And so that also felt like a fit too, right? Like, oh, well, yeah, he's like already he doing NBC stuff, so he'll take guy. over. Yeah. You know, Andy, you got a chance to talk to Forslund. What was, yep. what was that like? Well, I'll admit, you know, watching him for so many years, it was surreal hearing him on my phone. Hmm. Super nice guy. You know, it's always refreshing when someone like that turns out to be as nice as you, as you would hope they are. And he's excited to be here. He took this job without ever setting foot in the city of Seattle, which is pretty amazing. If you think about your own jobs and relocating and you know, he, he just heard so many good things and uh, he's super excited. He's still going to be doing NBC games for the rest of this year. And even when he's with the Kraken and, and he and I talked a little bit about how Doc Emmerich did do that for a while until you know later on, he, he, he just focused on the national uh, the games, so he'll be doing both. You know, he'll they'll find a way to work that into the Kraken schedule, and, and so you'll still be able to hear him. I think we'll get a different version of him, though. He did admit to this, you know, his "Hey, hey, what do you say?" If you notice, he doesn't say that on national games because that's something for the team he's covering when they, you know, he feels that they've scored a goal that's put the game away. That's, that's the catchphrase he likes to use. It's a little bit slanted towards one team. It's a little bit slanted, so he doesn't <laughs> use that in the national broadcast, which I never really noticed before. I knew that was one of his catchphrases, but I never really focused on that. So that was interesting. He's got a he's got an amazing history. Like it's like he he could probably tell you stories you know all day long. I mean he's seen a lot of hockey. He was Hartford Whalers play by play guy. He he called the last Whaler game, um, which is pretty remarkable. And I love the intro to it. I don't know if you guys watched the video that I attached to the story, but he intros that game. The game didn't mean anything. Last game of the season, the Whalers were out of the playoffs. And he introduced it by saying, it's a meaningless game with a lot of meaning. Mm. I just thought that was brilliant like, <laughs> that he came up with that. <laughs> That's awesome. And he talked about how emotional that was. you know. And then he went to this, with the team to Carolina. There were fans who called him a traitor. And I don't know what he was supposed to do, quit his job because the team was moving. <laughs> He's not the one who made that, to cho- that choice to leave the, to leave the Hartford. But, um, and then he had to go through you know, a new team. And it wasn't an expansion team, but it was a new team, a new, a new major sport to that region in North Carolina. And... You know, he talked about how they only had four months to prepare the fans, where the Kraken here have had a couple of years, so it's a little bit different. And but he's confident that uh, that you know the hockey will people who aren't into hockey will will quickly you know fall in love with it as everybody else does. So it's exciting to have him here. It's you know what's funny is when you, you you guys tweeted that stuff when he was let go. It seems like fans and, and people in the city, whenever there's a big name that gets fired from a job, whether it's a coach or no matter what, everyone's like, oh, the Kraken should get him, right? Kind of just. <laughs> You know, a flip it like, oh, the crackers should get him. This is the one time it actually came true <laughs> so far. Yeah. The guy that's the top in the business actually is coming. So yeah. that's pretty amazing. Yeah. I do want to kind of call out one one thing. A listener sent me an email like when it was announced that Forsland would not be coming going back to the Carolina Hurricanes, saying like, Oh, they gotta get him, they gotta get him. And he was super passionate about it. Had a couple emails exchanged with him. Um, his name is Ross. I'm not gonna share his last name, but uh it was pretty cool to hear from him after it was announced because he was kind of bummed. When Everett Fitzhugh was hired, not realizing that he was hired for the radio, you know, seven months later, <laughs> his like dream guy is getting hired for the position yep. he wanted him at. And so anyway, just a quick call out to him. That was pretty cool. And and I emailed him the day of the announcement that um, <laughs> Forslund was coming to, to Seattle. So pretty cool. The upcoming section of the show has aged poorly since the guys recorded the NWHL has decided to cancel the remainder of the tournament due to COVID concerns. 
Bummer. Good stuff. And speaking of John Forsland, he is going to be broadcasting the NWHL games on NBCSN, uh, I guess this weekend, along with AJ Malesko, which should be a pretty awesome combo. I'm excited about that. Like I said, bummer. Uh, what's the latest out of the NWHL wobble, John? Hasn't been going that smooth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the New York Riveters uh, had to leave Lake Placid, I think, Thursday or Friday last week after they had enough cases with COVID where they just could not continue. So they, they had to bounce from the wobble, as they say. The Connecticut Whale had to leave on Monday, the 1st of February, for the same reason. So Yikes. that leaves only four teams for the playoffs, which start on Friday. So the games have been awesome, though. I've yeah, really yeah. enjoyed the games. Boston Pride was at a three-game uh, series with Buffalo to figure out who would be the last team in, even though they didn't. They are both in now that uh, the Connecticut Whale have left. But it's been fun. The games have been good. I'm really excited to see what happens when NBC mm-hmm. covers it because they're probably going to beef up the coverage and have a more couple camera more cameras. Angles. There's going to yeah, be, yeah, yeah the, their budget's a little higher than Twitch, put it that way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I am sad. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit of NHL news before we get to our three stars. The main thing that we wanted to talk about was this Tony D'Angelo situation, which has been quite the, quite the <laughs> circus out of New York with the Rangers. Uh, so Tony D'Angelo, who we know is quite the character, uh, he has been waived and he's now cleared waivers after apparently he got in a fight with Alex Georgiev after the game. There's some sort of mix up between the two and, you know, D'Angelo got pissed off and uh, Georgiev got pissed off back and punched him. And so they waived him and that's pretty much where we're at. So uh, there's a lot of like rumors floating around, but then a lot of them have been debunked about, I don't know, just stuff, just stupid stuff that led to it. One thing that I do think is certain is that he had been scratched in, I think it was like games two and three on the season. And the president of the team just said he couldn't get over it. And he was like, had a really bad attitude about it. He had warned him then, if your name comes up in any other kind of drama, you're going to be cut from the team. So that was it. So he said, you know, on Monday, he was like, we got to stick to our word here. We got to do what we said we were going to do. So that's what's happening. Very telling that no other teams in the league claimed him. Yeah, because he's got on the ice, he's got talent, Mm -hmm. but he has had a well-documented past that that isn't always the cleanest. So I think a lot of teams want to just steer clear of it. It's not worth it. He's been suspended on multiple cases, not for interactions on the ice, but it's things off the ice and he hasn't been a fan favorite either he's put up some big numbers um in the past and Mm -hmm. and probably would have been we projected him as being protected he's a good hockey player but you know he comes with a lot of baggage and i don't think i think teams are pretty fed up with that so um yeah he might have played his last game in the nhl well definitely with the rangers so we'll see (laughs) what happens yeah uh we now move on to our sound of hockey three stars Situation continues. Yeah, your star. Yeah. My star comes from the Philadelphia Flyers. Okay. And it's youngster Joel Farabee. Okay. You heard of him? Uh-huh. Yes. He's just, he's 20 years old. He had a hat trick the other night against the uh, New York Islanders. He's off to a good start. He scored eight goals last year as a rookie and has already scored five this year. He has eight points in 10 games. But the, the hat trick he had, he became the fifth 
flyer to have to record a hat trick before he turned 21 years old. So there's been only five. Only two players recorded a hat trick that were younger than him, but one of them did it four times. So it's a little mini quizzical. Do you, can you name that guy who did it four times before he was 21? Austin for the Matthews. Flyers. No, for, for the Flyers. Flyers. Oh, not in the NHL history. This is all for the Flyers. Claude Giroux. And good guess. I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Uh, so I guess gritty. No. So Eric Lindros did it four times before he um, turned 21. Sure, sure, Sean Couturier is the youngest flyer to get a hat trick. Mm. But Claude Giroux, I heard on a broadcast this week, Claude Giroux has never had a hat trick in the NHL. No. I find that amazing. So Joel Farabee is your star. John, your star. Yeah. So uh, coincidentally, my guy is James Van Riemsdyk, ah. also Philadelphia Flyer. Oh. Uh-oh. Uh, he had eight points in four games over the last Decent. week. Decent. That's pretty good. And his... Time on ice is relatively low. It's only he's is less than 14 minutes per game, which is a lot lower than most players that are putting up those kind of points. Now, the reason why I want to call him out is he should be exposed in the expansion mm-hmm. draft. He is on a little bit on the older side, but if he continues to put in production and you kind of need some stability of some veteran leadership and people love the guy, so he could be a Kraken. It's possible. Yeah, there's going to be some choices there in Philly for the Kraken. Yeah, for sure. And and Philly needs to make some t- choices yep. as well. Shane Gosper's back and has played him pretty well, too. He's another guy who could be on the radar. And my star, can you guys guess what team he's on? Is he... Uh, it's got to be Flyers? in the wild. It's also the Flyers. <laughs> so all three of our stars come from the Philadelphia Flyers. That's hilarious. That's remarkable. Yeah, so my star is, well, he used to be in the wild, but Nate Prosser. Uh, he is my star mm. because he is just infinitely scratched. Every night he is scratched or he's <laughs> in the AHL or whatever. Uh, he hasn't played in the NHL for two years and he scored a goal this. in his one and only game, and then I think they probably nice. sent him back to either the taxi squad or the AHL right afterwards. So uh, that was <laughs> that was pretty funny. Uh, he's one of those just well liked and really respected guys who he just goes about his business, even though he hardly ever gets to play anymore. But the pictures of him a scoring the goal and then b holding up his uh, his celebratory puck after the game, just the smile on his face was just so so pure and so like boyish, right? So uh, good stuff, <laughs> Nate Prosser. His smile in his like team photo or whatever is like oh it's it's great yes. he looks like an ahl player for sure <laughs> yeah like a, like a rookie right like scoring his first <laughs> nhl goal just thrilled yeah, yeah 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 all right that's our three stars uh we're gonna move on to our interview now with tim ohashi just a heads up the internet connection wasn't great when we talked to him so uh, i tried to clean it up as best i could but if there's some choppiness sorry about that but the content is great like i said you're gonna learn some good stuff here here he is tim ohashi We now welcome on the Sound of Hockey a man who previously spent six years with the Washington Capitals, most recently as video analyst. He was hired in October as the head video analyst for our Seattle Kraken. Welcome to Sound of Hockey, Tim Ohashi, and thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we are very excited to have you on, and uh, we did a little digging into your background to try to understand who is (laughs) Tim Ohashi, Uh, and we understand that originally you wanted to be a teacher, but then you kind of went with a fallback option, which was to become a Stanley Cup champion. Now, there aren't too many people out there that part of their their fallback plan be, like I said, Stanley Cup champion. So what made you take that route instead of being a teacher? Yeah, it's uh, it was sort of a circuitous journey that got me into hockey. If, if you'd asked the, the seven-year-old version of me what I wanted to do, I would have told you I wanted to work in hockey. Mm. I just 
was a realist and I was able to evaluate my own game and I realized it wasn't going to happen playing hockey. Um, and just growing up, I grew up in the Washington DC area where at the time hockey was starting to get a little bit popular, but it was pre Ovechkin and it was pre that real boom in popularity that not a ton of people played and there weren't a lot of opportunities. And, you know, growing up, you just really didn't know at all about the back end of the business, the front office side, the coaching side, it just didn't seem like a realistic or attainable career path. Um, and obviously the, the boom of analytics and uh, data in, in sports and especially hockey now too uh, have helped create a lot of opportunities for people that otherwise wouldn't have had paths in the, into the sport. Uh, so just trying to be a realist, I, you know, I went to college, I, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do when I started. And as I, as I sort of progressed my way through, I realized I enjoyed, I did some volunteer work in some local schools, and I just really enjoyed the teaching component of it and working in the community, working with youth. And I had some great teachers growing up, and it just felt like a great way to sort of connect. And I was in a graduate program to, to get a master's in teaching. I was dead set on on this career field. And First of all, I kind of realized that it's it's a little harder than it looks. So I give a lot of kudos to all the teachers I may have given a hard time uh, growing up as a hard to deal with adolescent. It sort of made me start to question. I realized it was one of those things. That I think if your heart's not fully into teaching, it's not right to do it because you're, you're impacting young kids and uh, people that rely on you. And uh, at the same time, I had a pretty bad back injury hmm. that forced me to take a leave of absence from teaching. And I ended up having to move back home actually. Uh, with my mom back in the DC area. I was up in New England and I was bored out of my mind because mentally I was all there, but I, I was pretty much bedridden. She encouraged me to start taking some classes. So I took some sports management classes, really enjoyed it. And it kind of reignited a bit of a passion. And I started to realize that maybe if I got some breaks, that a career in sports might be possible. And to make a longer story short, uh, that was kind of the segue in. And I, I never went back to teaching after that. And it's been all hockey for the last... Uh, going on seven years now. That's well, very cool. It's a, it's an interesting story. And, you know, we always joke that not every path to the NHL is the same. So certainly true for you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you grew up in Bethesda, Maryland, or, well, you obviously mentioned that you grew up in the, the D.C. area and hockey was kind of growing in popularity, as you said. How do you get into hockey? Yeah, I, growing up, it's funny. Neither of my parents really care a ton about sports. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother enjoyed playing soccer and I grew up playing a ton of soccer as well. But my family weren't super in the sports by and large and for whatever reason from as young as I can remember and as young as anyone in my family I've just been in love with sports it was come home from school pick up a hockey stick and play on the driveway until it got dark I just loved it and it helped I had some cousins who originally from Pittsburgh and then uh, ended up moving to Minnesota and they came for Christmas one year brought me to a hockey game when I was very young the old Capitol Center and just fell in love with the sport, the speed, the size, the excitement, the energy. And, you know, I couldn't get enough of it. If it was on TV, I was watching it. If I could go outside, I was playing it. It just <laughs> anything I could do with it. I had the hockey cards. I would study up the stats on the back of them. Just whatever I could do to have a piece of it, I was all in. Did you find yourself clipping video highlights back then? <laughs> Not quite. Although I will say that on the on the rare occasions when I wasn't able to post up by the TV, I would I would record them on the VHS. And sure. uh, you know, the seven year old me when I would inevitably make mistakes or forget to hit the record, I would just be devastated later <laughs> that night when I couldn't watch the game. So yeah. I was addicted to the video from a young age. So how did you get in with the Capitals? What was that process like? It was a bit of trial and error and a lot of luck to be totally honest with you. I was in a, a graduate program, as I as I mentioned a little bit earlier, at Georgetown mm-hmm. University, and they really 
really encouraged that people got internships as, as much as they could uh, within fields that they were interested in working in, start building those network connections because definitely something that's really important in, in any sports industry or probably mm -hmm. any industry period. And so I applied to four or five different jobs with the Capitals from PR to community relations to game entertainment. And I got two different interviews and I was told I was the runner up for both of them. And I was just devastated. Yeah. I wanted to get more in the hockey ops coaching side, but I just wanted to get my foot in the door at the time. And again, trying to be a realist, I didn't expect in any universe that I could just jump right in uh, right with the team. <laughs> and that was the year that was the summer over, I guess, the fall of 2014 when Barry Trotz had just come over from Nashville to be the, the head coach. He was coming from an organization that had always had two or three video people to support the needs of his coaching staff. Washington at the time only had one person and it was pretty late in the process. It was like two days before training camp started uh -huh. and the, the head video coach there kind of realized that he was going to need more bodies and more help and it wasn't in the budget to hire somebody. It was too late in the process that somebody said, well, why don't you get an intern? And fortunately, I'd peppered my resume, my cover letter to any name I could find in the organization. So it happened to be on his desk and he gave me a call. And two days later, I came in for an interview and I started up, I think the next day and um, <laughs> I interned for the whole season. Um, I was just a sponge. I was trying to, you know, take everything I could in and learn and grow. And it was unbelievable. I got to work with six NHL coaches, players on a daily basis. And the learning curve is obviously steep when you have those resources available to you. And at the end of the year, they I tricked them into liking me enough that they, they offered me a full-time <laughs> job. You obviously prove, like, like you said, you prove your worth, right? And you, you become the video analyst there. So, I mean, where, where how does that ascension happen? Like, you know, you, you go from intern to actually being the guy that they turn to. You know, what were some of those steps that you remember along the way? As much as possible, it was just asking as many questions as I could because I realized that you, I, at the time I was, I didn't know where it was going to go. I wasn't sure if this was going to be a one-year internship mm -hmm. and then I was going to be set free like a fish and I was going to be swimming just looking for anything. So mm -hmm. I didn't want to squander any opportunities, any information. So I was as much as I was first one in, last one out, you know, all those cliches, but mm -hmm. I tried to live up to them. I, you know, I, I've read enough stories of other people, the Theo Epsteins, those kind of people that maybe had less traditional backgrounds and obviously became very successful and tried to emulate some of the things that I heard and learned that they did. And uh, I tried to make sure nobody could question the work ethic. And as much as possible, I would take the initiative to do things before they were asked. And I'd sort of, uh, I'd say I'm a pretty observant person that I'd start to get to know the routines of the people around me and realize that, okay, the day after the game, the power play coach is always doing this. What if I surprised him and had it done for him when he came in the morning? What would his reaction be? Hmm. And you start to do those and then you earn their trust and they start to lean on you. And then at the end of the year, they're starting to rely on you and you've hopefully made their lives a little bit easier that they don't want to get rid of you. And so yeah. as much as possible, I just tried to entrench myself in the day-to-day -day processes and uh, kind of make myself as indispensable as I could. And you used the word swimming there after you won the Stanley Cup. Did you swim in any fountains? <laughs> I didn't. I was there. I got to witness it firsthand. Uh, I didn't swim. It's funny. I don't know how how apparent it is in the video, but that water is probably about ankle deep. Yeah. That, uh, 
I sort of, <laughs> I was, I was just concerned that my cell phone battery was dying. I was trying to figure out how I was going to get home at the end of the day. You mentioned Barry Trotz. Uh, he was, he was, uh, you know, uh, influencing you getting there. Uh, you know, we, we watch him from afar. He seems pretty intense. Is he really that intense you know, day to day? I, I would consider Barry a mentor of mine. Uh, certainly lucky to work with him for four years. And he, he's a big reason that I was attracted to the Seattle job actually in a roundabout way because of his experience and how fondly he talked of expansion mm. um, going through that process in Nashville and really encouraged me to pursue it if it ever came up. Uh, but no, he, he's the lovable, one of the kindest, sweetest hearted guys that, that I've ever been around, just an absolute heart of gold. I know he looks, we, we sort of joke around and he knows it too, that he, he has that intensity on the bench and he looks, he's the kind of guy that your mom might call you and say, why is he so angry all the time? Right? It looks like he doesn't like you, but he's absolute heart of gold that uh, we, we still keep in touch. Oh, cool. We've uh, we've talked to a number of analytic folks on this podcast. Uh, you're our first video analyst, though, so so kudos. Yeah, you get that yeah. on your on your, uh, <laughs> your put that on your resume. But I'm curious how like a video analyst and analytics how that meshes together. Like how do, how do your your work you know work in and weave in with what they're doing with with statistical information? I'm extremely lucky to be coming to to the Seattle Kraken organization. As you know, you've you've talked to some of them already. It's we've got an unbelievable R and D department with a. Uh, a bunch of well-qualified, diverse skill set people. And so that makes my job easier. That that helps. I consider it a partnership. It's I'll be the first to say they're smarter than me, they're better with numbers than me, they're more intelligent, all that. But uh, I just try and keep up with them. My focus is more on the video, watching the video and especially looking at systems, sort of more big picture stuff from a team to help the coaching staff. That way we know next year when we go in San Jose, I want our coaching staff and our players to have a very clear image of this is what their neutral zone is going to look like. This is what their defensive zone coverage is. And here's how we're going to counter that. Here's how we're going to beat that. With that being said, while the video is important and while I lean on that heavily, there's numbers that can help back that up. Um, so I like to use them as basically a cross-check process where if I feel like a team, let's say, gives up a lot of opportunities off the rush, maybe, because that's what I'm seeing in the video, we can verify that with data. Mm. And if both of them are confirming that, then I feel very confident with it. And if one says this and the other says the opposite, well, then that's a sign that I need to maybe dig in a little bit more into the video and figure out why these discrepancies are happening. Because uh, neither one's going to be 100% giving you the full picture every time. But I think when you put them in conjunction with each other and you you have a great team in place that can help provide you data and help you analyze data and have the resources around, it can make the product that much stronger. Because I realistically, when you get to game 82, I can't have watched every game that Vegas has played that year. That's not realistic. Um, I know in football, you get a little bit more of college football. You might actually watch every Clemson game if you're playing them. <laughs> we don't have the means playing 82 games and every other day to do that. You kind of have to look for trends and recent tendencies, and then you can look at season-long data and analytics to help verify and confirm or see if there's emerging trends. Maybe a team was really bad in the first half of the year in their deep zone coverage, and they've gotten good. And you've seen it in the last couple of games, but you're not sure, okay, is this a fluke? Is it just a, was the goalie stealing a couple of games or did they make a big change? And, and the data bears that out and you feel better about telling the team, hey, this, this team, I know they're middle of the pack, but it's a tale of two seasons for them. In that same vein, when you're queuing up video systems like a four check or a breakout, let's say you're looking at a breakout, do you try to provide the coaching staff with successful breakouts where the team you're playing was able to break out as well as when the four check beat them so they can, so they can see what other teams have done to combat them? 
Yeah, so so every coach is a little bit different. I've been fortunate to work with a handful of a couple head coaches and a handful of assistant coaches now that each guy seems to have a slightly different template for how he wants his video, the order, what he looks for, that that'll be a bit of a learning process once we have a coaching staff, full coaching (laughs) staff in place. But I like to clip both. I like to clip, okay, this is their perfect, like if, if if it were us, this is what we'd be showing our players and saying, this is how it's gotta look. This is their ideal look. So we know, okay, our players have a good idea of this is what they want to do. And then I like to show a clip of hopefully it's us once you've played a team before. <laughs> here's exactly what we need to do to counter it. And if it's not us, okay, here's, you know, here's Pittsburgh doing a great job on their four check. Mm-hmm. And because of these routes or because of these tendencies or habits, they're able to break up or disrupt the play here, create a turnover or whatever it may be. Um, so it's a balance between them doing good and bad stuff. Interesting. So so you mentioned some of that pregame or prep stuff that you do, but I imagine that the video analysis happens before, during, and after game. So what what does like a typical game day look like for someone in your position? And do you have to like stretch like the players do before the game and like <laughs> play soccer in the hallway and all that? A little sewer ball. I grew up playing soccer, so I, I won't lie and say there's been a couple of times when I've jumped in the game. Oh, nice. Um, nice. I'm not nice. a regular and I'm certainly not on the on the skilled end of it. But uh, <laughs> I had a pretty good relationship with most of the players in Washington that they, yeah. they usually got a pretty big kick out of it when I would join in in my suit and dress shoes. and. Um, <laughs> I'd just be happy to get one or two touches in before being eliminated. But average game day, again, it's something that ultimately the head coach is going to have a lot of say. And I can tell you what my day looked like Uh, last year, for example. I would show up to the rink around 6, 6, 15 in the morning and depended if I was delivering the meeting or not because we had a rotation where I delivered about a third of the meetings um, and other coaches would. So if I was delivering it, I would be watching over my meeting, making last edits to it and kind of rehearsing it in my head. If not, odds are I'm doing the next meeting. So like if we're playing Carolina that day and then Florida two days from then, I'm probably watching Florida's game that finished at 9.45 last night. I might've done a period the previous night before I went to bed. And now I'm going to jump in the second period. Got that going. At 7.30, we would meet as a staff for about an hour. And whoever was presenting the meeting would go over kind of, we call like the big version of the scout. It was a lot more clips than you would actually show the team to give kind of a comprehensive view of this team because it was more important for the coaches to have a wide understanding of what was going on. And at nine o'clock, we would deliver that meeting to the players. We'd also do a meeting for our penalty kill. So a scout of the opposing team's power play. And then it was quickly grab a bite. Uh, fortunate enough that you <laughs> breakfast and lunch are provided. Uh, never hungry league. That's important. Um, <laughs> quickly grab a bite, plan the morning skate. Guys would be on the ice at 10, 15. I would film the practice and cut it live. Maybe there are some, if we're practicing the special teams that day, maybe the PK coach sees something that he wants to adjust or show a guy that night. Then afterward, I've got some paperwork. We've got the video component, but we also write up our scout. There's diagrams, there's images. So you got to get that prepared and PowerPoints, all that kind of stuff. So I do that till lunchtime, jump back on that Florida game that I was watching before, (laughs) do that for an hour. Then hopefully I I lived half a mile from the rink. So hopefully sneak home for like a 40 minute nap uh, because the days are long. And then the players, right? You got to get your afternoon nap in. Yeah, I I certainly eat like the players. So I might as well nap like the players. (laughs) I just got to learn to work out like the players and I'll be all set. 
but yeah, then I'd head down to the rink. I'd usually leave around three, get there by three twenty, three thirty, set up, make sure the videos, you know, your feeds are coming in because we, we shared our building with a basketball teams. So mm-hmm. on any given day, you'd find that twelve different things have been moved, and you're scrambling around. <laughs> and some days everything worked perfectly, but you kind of double check all that. Players would show up between four and five. At five twenty, we'd have a meeting with our power play on the opposing team's penalty kill and the plan for that night. The head coach would talk at five thirty. Some sort of basic reminders, little pregame sort of pep talk thing and then that sort of 540 to 640 time was actually kind of the quietest time of the day it was sort of the calm before the storm (laughs) hopefully if you're lucky you can go grab a bite again because why wouldn't you need a third meal um if you're lucky and it'll be a different workflow out here in the west but Hopefully there's an early game that you can get a game going on the TV or if not, it seemed like golf was on there a lot, especially if it was a Thursday (laughs) through Sunday game starts, you're breaking it down live. You're making, you know, over a thousand marks in the game, every four check, every breakout, which guys are on the ice at which time face-offs, et cetera. Uh, You're in communication with the bench via headset. Hmm. And then you also have the responsibility of sending out video to the bench. I'm sure you've seen when you watch every guy grabs the iPads now. So you're controlling that, sending those marks out. You have the Hawkeye system, which you can control uh, if you want to initiate a coach's challenge as well. So uh, there's a lot going on kind of in the control room back there. And that's the fun part though. There's nothing better than game day and game time especially and there's nothing better than the end of the game as long as you're on the winning side of it so <laughs> that's and then man. if the fall goes well hopefully you're home by 11 30 so it's a long day man is there wrap-up work after the game or is that pretty minimal there is it it depends on your schedule whether you're on a back-to-back or or if you're on a back-to-back you're probably driving right to the airport or you're hopping on the bus right to the airport and uh probably shouldn't admit to it but i've definitely had a laptop on the passenger seat trying to <laughs> export some video or um because we, we give all the guys who wanted them their shifts right after the game so uh-huh. could load them up on a, on a little thumb drive and put them on their laptops or their iPads or whatever and it's a pretty straightforward process but the computer's got to be open sure um, sounds really yeah, you're, straightforward gameplay you're on your toes man <laughs> um, there is some post-game analysis uh, reviewing the game footage going over the chances that kind of stuff uh, I think is a pretty typical workflow for most teams and uh, you do travel with the team in that in that regard too right is yeah, you mentioned there's a team, multiple video people in Washington, and we can maybe assume that here. But would multiple video people travel with the team as well, or is there one? On That's definitely become the norm. Six years ago, it was fewer than half, probably under ten even. Now it's in the twenties. There's a few teams that still do not have a second person, although that's becoming increasingly more and more rare. And I I think within a couple of years, every team in the league is going to have at least two, if not potentially even more than two, because video is not becoming a smaller part of the game anytime soon. Technology is certainly not going away, but the majority of teams would have two people travel. That's It really is a two-person job, at least between breaking down the game live, needing to be able to check the offsides, the goalie interference, Uh, possibly keeping track of some stats during the game yourself and then operating the iPads that um, as many hands, usually between the two of us, we had four computers going one for each hand, I guess. So, Uh, you, d- you did kind of touch on it a couple times about uh, initiating the coach's challenge during a game. Like, how much pressure is involved there? <laughs> and then more importantly, do you know your record? What's your record? 
<laughs> I don't know it off the top of my head. I, it, it's something that the first year it was implemented, I definitely kept track of. And I was just hoping the general manager was keeping track of when we got one right uh, for the next time my salary <laughs> Just was, when they got it right, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just when I got it right. Yeah, like, um, do you have to go to arbitration 100%. then based on your, based on your stats? I was, I was preparing my numbers in case it went to that. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, it did not. <laughs> it, it is stressful. It's, when, when you get a clear-cut offside... You feel pretty good about it. And it's, you know, the guy's two feet in the zone, the pucks clearly <laughs> there's, you don't need the grainy blue line camera. It's, you probably even noticed it live and said that looked weird, et cetera. Those ones are great because it feels like you say anybody could have seen it, but you feel like uh, you're helping him. I mean, I don't get to put on equipment and lace up skates to never score a goal. So the ability to potentially take one off the board is as close as I get to <laughs> directly <laughs> impacting the score line. So those are great, but. On those 50-50 ones, it's, it's a long wait when you're just kind of holding your breath, waiting and waiting. And I hope they see what you saw. <laughs> yeah. If nothing else, you're just hoping the broadcasters aren't saying, like, I can't imagine. I don't understand why they challenge. Like, I'm a, you just hope they're at least a little bit on your side because I try not to, but I know there's some people that will Google themselves, Twitter, and <laughs> I don't think any good comes of that, but uh, I'm sure there's some some people that have said some less than favorable stuff about us after a wrong challenge, uh, especially now that there's a penalty involved. We're going to be tracking just FYI. We'll track for you. So you know what your record is right now. You know, you're obviously not covering any games specifically, but you're obviously hired uh, almost a year ahead of time. How much of your workday right now is like building infrastructure versus kind of collaborating and helping out with maybe some of the video packages of the amateur and pro scouting that's been going on right now for the Kraken? Yeah, that's a great question. It's uh, it's a mix right now. It, it's definitely a different workflow than it will be a year from now once we're, we're in season and in the grind of, of hopefully 82 games at least. But yeah, I'd say it's kind of three parts of I'm watching games. I'm breaking down games. It's a little bit different where I'm not watching with the purpose of we're playing Anaheim on Friday. I need to watch a bunch of Anaheim and get ready for that. I'm trying to work my way through all the teams in the league and over the course of the season, basically build infrastructure and a database of video. That way, when we do have a coaching staff in place, we can hit the ground running and we don't have to go back and go digging for everything. Um, because that's something that as you go into a new year, you rely on the prior season because you mm-hmm. don't have... Mm-hmm video yet so building that infrastructure will be a big advantage for us rather than if i were just coming in in summer and then like you said helping out with r&d and the front office and the scouts uh, with video needs and collaborating on some projects with them and uh, getting to pick their brains too because like i think i've alluded to a bit already but i've got some great hockey minds in, in the front office and scouting departments and uh, r&d that I'm learning from them too and trying to pick and steal things from them that will make my life easier uh, come next October. And then there's a little bit of just the planning going around on the two new facilities that there's people uh, way above me and architects and designers that have done an unbelievable job from what I've seen, but just making sure that the, the layouts make sense from a coaching perspective, that the TVs are in the right spot, that we have the appropriate wiring, things like that, cameras, projector, you know, all of that making sure once uh, once that head coach does come in as much as possible we can just hit the ground running and it doesn't feel like we're playing catch up even as a new a new staff and a new organization uh so you talked briefly about jumping in to play 
sewer ball with the with the guys and <laughs> somehow we have the impression that you are at least in Washington you were kind of treated like one of the guys that the guys would bust your chops a little bit from time to time was there were there particular players that kind of had your number in meetings that would really hit you with good zingers every now and then I would say I was fortunate that the guys welcomed me with open arms mm-hmm. I, I think the guy that initially when I started he's he's like six years younger than me but Tom Wilson uh, almost a mentor of mine despite the fact that he was still in adolescence pretty much uh, when I got there and it was like a 12 year veteran at age 23 and he looked like it too. It made no sense. Yeah. Uh, but Tom, I know he's, he's much maligned around the league outside of one specific geographic location that seems to like him for some reason, but uh, he's, he's an awesome guy. And uh, he really took me under his wing early and a couple months into my internship, he was like, Hey, this is the NHL. Like we got to up your game a little bit. And he took me out and bought me a custom suit. Wow. Spent like a thousand bucks, like something that the generosity blew me and still blows me away. Just little things like that. A help you feel welcomed and, and part of it. B just the gener. I mean, it's, it's tough to repay something like that, at least financially. (laughs) Um, But so guys like him, he's got a great sense of humor. He's, he would always mix them in and, uh, but I was lucky. A lot of the guys are, some guys are more sensitive than others that you kind of learn no different than any workplace. You learn uh, who kind of appreciates the joking stuff and <laughs> who to avoid or who gets moody after a bad game or yeah, but it, it was, it was a really good team of, of people, of humans more than anything. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was fortunate enough to to have that be a first stop for me. Yeah. And you know, we actually had Brendan Dillon on this podcast not too long ago and we asked him this same question. Alex Ovechkin, it, it always boggles my mind that whenever you watch the Washington Capitals power play, it feels like you know exactly what's going to happen. There's going to be a one-timer opportunity to Alex Ovechkin on the left circle, and he's going to take a one-timer, and somehow he's going to score, even though even watching at home, you know it's going to happen. (laughs) Obviously, you've watched this very, very frequently in your career. Why is that still successful when it's so obvious what's about to happen? The biggest thing is just the other team has fewer players mm-hmm. that if, if you want to commit a player to him, do you want to leave John Carlson who won the hardest shot competition and was runner up in the Norris and it was point per game at the point open? Do you want to leave TJ Oshie open from the middle of the slot? Mm-hmm. Or is it Kuznetsov or Backstrom who are as talented as any centers in the world? I mean, it's, it's pick your poison. Uh, you know, it's coming, but your options are let him have that shot or play four on three, which isn't a great alternative and some teams do it i've certainly seen teams say it's very clear watching the the penalty kill game plan is shadow ovi wherever he goes and credit to him he's realized that if they want to do that he'll drag him right out of the play and play four on three and you know it's the power play is still going to click at 25 plus percent if you want to play four (laughs) on three that it's it's not really a long-term winning strategy and that's the price he's He's got a special shot. He's, from my my money, the greatest goal scorer of all time. And the fact that he, year after year, it's, it's sort of like he can't keep getting away with this. How does he keep getting 50? And <laughs> one of these days, I guess, father time will catch up to him, but it hasn't happened yet until that happens. And I don't, I'm not sure I ever see a day that his shot's going to go. I'm sure he'll slow down a bit. His shot is uh, something to behold. The yeah. velocity, the movement. It's. I've certainly never been in the net for it, but I've seen it enough and I've seen enough video and talked to enough guys that every goalie just says it. It just comes off his stick differently yeah. and knuckles and dives yeah. and it's unpredictable yeah that is i mean that's something to to comment on though like it's got to be a huge part of his success as a goal scorer is like yeah he can shoot the puck hard but 
everybody in the NHL can shoot the puck hard, you know, but he can, he can do it accurately. And you're right. It comes off of his stick in a way that, you know, like a, like a pitcher in baseball that can get the ball to tail the opposite way of like the way that it's supposed to go. Like his shots do that. And it's just, it's a remarkable thing to behold when you can get those, those videos of way up close, where you can actually see what the puck is doing. It's not just going on a straight line when Alex Ovechkin shoots it. It's doing something bizarre. So um, it's a good point. <laughs> what, have you thought about what your emotions are going to be like the first time the Capitals come through Climate Pledge Arena after just all your experiences with all those guys over there? Man, I can t- I'm all in on the Kraken, so I don't think that it's... Uh, I think <laughs> I'm, right. I'm excited no to see those there. people. <laughs> uh, I won't say there's no nostalgia because there's a lot of good people there that, you know, on an individual basis, you root for them to have success. But uh, apologies to my friends there, but I, I hope Seattle's the only team competing for Stanley Cups here in the near future. And uh, <laughs> so it'll be fun, though. I'm excited to kind of go head to head with them and see them. And it, it was been a lot of downsides with COVID and all that, but not being able to see people before I left uh, uh, because yeah. of social. So didn't really get to have goodbyes with anyone there that uh, it'd be nice to catch up A after It'll be a bit of a gap here considering we're not playing this year and be just not having really had proper goodbyes from there to begin with in the first place that I am excited to see them as friends, but hopefully beat them as, as competitors. Man, you nice. might be like, I'm, I'm imagining opening night in next season. And like, I feel like you're going to be just as amped up as the players. Like it's been a long time for you to be not doing a game day. Yeah. It, I try and keep as even the keel as I can during games because when the, the most exciting moments of games are the goals typically sure. and those are kind of crunch time for me where i have 30 seconds to help influence a decision should we challenge should we not that i can't be <laughs> high-fiving everybody in the room or uh, <laughs> tweeting in celebration or whatever i gotta keep a pretty pretty even keel and uh you know make sure my head's on straight and i'm able to be rational but with that being said games are exciting and that's that's why you that's why you put up with waking up early and staying up late and missing things and being on the road and all of that yeah i get amped up one of my well, it must have been maybe 2017 playoffs game seven versus pittsburgh uh, obviously it didn't go well for washington because pittsburgh went on and won the stanley cup but i remember before the game we had the 520 power play meeting and Justin Williams came in the room, Mr. Game 7, sure. most clutched guy in hockey in my lifetime, arguably. I mean, and he just has a presence about him. He's an awesome guy. but just And, and he must have noticed that I was a little bit on edge and nervous, and he kind of just pulled me aside and patted me on the back and said, just, just relax and enjoy it, sort of. Little moments like that help, help remind me that at a certain point, their excitement is great, but you also have to enjoy the ride a little bit. And so I try and remind myself of those things as, as we go through games. That's amazing. I guess I have, well, I was going to say I have one more question. I actually have two more questions for you. So did you get a day with the cup? I did. Uh, it's funny. Just the way the schedule worked, I was actually the first person in Washington to get a day with <laughs> oh, the cup, nice. <laughs> um, awesome. which, which was cool, but it did come with downsides. I won't say there's any downsides to getting a day with the cup other than the fact that I had like one week notice, oh. uh, which made it oh, yeah. very hard for people to get there. Uh, my dad wasn't able to be there. Uh, some some family, a, a lot of my friends that weren't in the area, or even some that were, had it was you know it was some people had weddings or vacations, and um, so a lot of the people that I would have loved to have shared the day with uh, weren't able to make it, which 
if, if there is a regret, that would be it. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, no, it's uh, it's hard to go wrong with with that. It was a special day. I, I brought it. To You'll just have Steph- to do it again, Tim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I would love to. But uh, the highlight of my day was probably I brought it to the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, which is. Uh, that's my favorite spot yep. in DC mm-hmm. and looking out over the whole over the whole mall with the cup so that was that was a fun start to Did he get a lot of uh, people looking <laughs> yeah, loose, paying attention and <laughs> you know what? To get there was just a few people one person asked is that the real thing and then didn't believe me when I said yes <laughs> um, there was uh a family where the, the dad was wearing a Buffalo Sabres hat and he said, can I take a picture with it? I said, sure. And he made some sort of self-deprecation. Oh, never going to get to see it in Buffalo. So I might as well. <laughs> His words, not mine. Um, but outside of that, it was like eight in the morning. So uh, there were like four people there, mm. beat the traffic and then kind of got it out of there because it wasn't really looking to get mobbed. <laughs> That's awesome. So what did you do with the rest of the day? Did you have a like a big party or? Yeah, brought it out to lunch to one of my favorite restaurants, a Mexican <laughs> restaurant, and had I don't know maybe eight or ten friends who were there, and uh, you know we just had the cup right next to us and uh, just sort of having a burrito, pretty good table. Did you, uh, yeah. Did you fill the cup with guac or something and use that as the dipping bowl or something <laughs> <Didn't>, crazy? <laughs> la- la- Later that night, uh, we brought it back to my, my mom's house, my childhood home, and we did ice cream sundaes mm. and champagne oh, cool. and all of that out of the cup. So uh, nice. tried to get the full experience. And, uh, awesome. Man, that is so cool. I'm sure anyone who wanted uh, could drink out of it. And- so cool. What a fallback plan for you. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned, you did just mention your dad, though. And my actual last question, I wanted to ask about your dad because uh, we read that he's a fifth degree black belt in, is it Shirinji Kempo? Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Shirinji. Kempo, I, yep. I don't know what that is, but I assume it means he could beat me up. Is that correct? <laughs> I don't want to assume, but yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm not much of a fighter, so I, I would, you know. He's a goalie. Darren's a goalie. Age is not on his side, but uh, I'd say it'd be a battle. Okay. He'd give you a fair fight. All right. Well, because the other thing is that we, we read about your his thing, uh, his performance in front of the Capitals doing 100 push-ups in front of the, the guys during the dad's trip that I don't think I can do 100 consecutive push-ups. So I think he's got me. I don't know if I've done 100 push-ups in my life non-consecutively, <laughs> so... <laughs> in the club <laughs> good stuff all right well tim uh this has been very very fun right. i feel like i have learned so so much about a position that you know i always knew existed but didn't know really what your what your day-to-day was like so thank you so much for sharing and and for coming on the pod we're we're excited to share this with our listeners we're excited to see what you do for the kraken absolutely thanks so much for having me my first podcast appearance wow we well, did oh, great wow nice. oh cool yeah you know. right. yeah great job all right thank you again to tim ohashi for joining us and for teaching us all about what it's like to be oh, yeah. a video analyst that was awesome could have talked to him for an hour yeah. about all that i know stuff. that was, was awesome was, <laughs> i've been so excited to share this interview with with listeners because yeah. it's so unique and cool and it's not content you're going to get many other places true no. very true uh thank you for joining us tim we move on to our segments that aren't three stars and our first segment <laughs> you know the format has me in a little bit of a pretzel now because i love three stars and i like that we're putting it earlier in the show but it's really messing with my brain a bit to 
then move on to our segments as we traditionally do. Like, especially if we have an interview after the interview, we roll into our segments, right? But we've already Let's done a segment. We, a segment. That's not yeah, a yeah, segment. exactly. Let's we do like cracking news. That's not a else. segment officially, uh-huh. right? We always start with cracking news. So, okay. It's just an NHL update. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So maybe it's a, uh, like, what's another word for segment? We need to crack open the thesaurus. I'm- I am it's sure a, the a listeners, bit. The listeners a, bit. Okay, so we finish our bits and then we move on to our segments. Yes, yeah, got exactly. It. Okay, so our first segment. How can you then, have your segments when you haven't had your bits? Mm-hmm. Right. Segments and bits. Segments and bits. It could be a breakfast cereal. Uh, our first segment is you don't see that every day. So our you don't see that every day comes from I guess. Well, man, how do you even describe this? Chris Tanev scores a goal that Connor Hellebuck laser would probably have wanted to have back from his <laughs> own blue line. And then, man, speaking of smiles that you love to see, Chris Tanev with... <laughs> he's got quite the look going right now with about four That's the opening left. face-off, right? It's the opening p- it? face-off in the second period. So okay, so they win the drawback. I'm not even really sure why he did that, because if he had missed the net, it would have been icing, because he was at his own blue line. Uh, but the puck did some kind of weird hops, and Hellebuck was deep in his net, and it just went right through. And That's that, how accurate he is. Yeah. He just knew it was going to go on that yeah. snipe. Went through Connor Hellebuck <laughs> like uh, water going through Tanev's teeth. <laughs> Have you guys ever have you guys ever seen live a, a goal that scored like that off face off? Not, not like that. No. no, no. I gave up a couple of those goals when I was a little kid. <laughs> what do you mean I, I was, a I was uh, yeah. I was in the old Mercer Arena when I when the WHL record for fastest goal from the start of a game was set by a kid named Dean Sexsmith who played for Seattle off the opening face off. He was a winger. Just dumped it into the Victoria end, and it took a hop in front of the goalie. Went in six mm. seconds or something like that. I think it's still the record. That is unfortunate. You kind of you kind of blink like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> I have very vivid memories of a coach screaming at me from the bench after giving up. I think it was the second one of those that I gave up in the same game. I was like a squirt, <laughs> and he just yells, "Darren, uh-huh. stop the puck with your stick first, then sweep it." Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I was trying to sweep and missed it. So maybe that's what Hellebuck was doing too. Uh, that's our you don't see that every day. We now move on to our weekly one-timers our first weekly one-timer good just what we need is more talk about broadcasting updates this is exciting (laughs) stuff the nhl network is going to be producing their own regular season games what's the story on this i'm just going to assume that john put this on the notes because he loves talking about broadcast deals (laughs) yeah i love this okay it's kind of cool it's another way to get more hockey um nhl network's going to essentially produce their own games and have their own broadcast crew on saturdays and sundays not every saturday not every sunday but they're going to have a bunch of other unique games because usually they just pipe in the hockey night in canada and i think they'll Mm -hmm. still do that but this gives gets more games on TV, and it's their own kind of network game. So their own crew, it's Steven Nelson and, and a lot of the same guys you're familiar with from NHL Network. So I think it's just another opportunity to see hockey. Do we know if this is going to – so let's say they do, I don't know, New York and Washington or something. Will that replace the other broadcast that's already happening in, in the region there for it, or is – that's just an additional broadcast that's going to happen. That's a, that's a good question. We do not know that. Mm, answer okay. to that. Sounds like another opportunity for Kraken fans to have their games blacked out. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't get NHL Network. Right. <laughs> but if you get Root Sports, you get NHL Network. Oh, okay. Interesting. True. Same tier. Very Same interesting. tier. Yeah. Our next weekly one-timer. What was that? It's very soft. That disappeared. Yeah. Uh, all right. The ECHL that's, is adding. I can't have shot. 
another team. <laughs> what is the story there? Yeah, so the ECHL, not afraid of any COVID, is announced that they're yeah they're expanding and having another team in Savannah, Georgia. Mm. Now, what's interesting about this is. Its ownership group is the same group that owns the Jacksonville Icemen mm. in the same league. Sure. So apparently you can own multiple teams in the same league, and I guess that happens from time to time. So That, that is a little bit interesting to me as at some point the Kraken are going to look for an affiliate in the ECHL. Probably not right away, but now there's one more team for them to choose from. Yeah, it would make sense for them to pick a team in the southeastern portion of the United States. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Our next weekly one-timer. Victor Mete and Sam Bennett have both requested trades from their respective teams. Mete, of course, with the Montreal Canadiens. Sam Bennett, of course, with the Calgary Flames. Uh, Now, Bennett, I know that we've had him circled as a potential Kraken Mm -hmm. candidate from the Calgary Flames. A lot of it, I think, is just has to do with how much they're being used, and it sounds like they're not being used very much. So we'll see what happens there. I think it's just kind of worth monitoring. Bennett, the production really hasn't been there, so I'm not sure that his complaints are very justified. Mm -hmm. But I know he was good in the playoff, but regular season in the last couple years, he hasn't been that great. So it would make sense playing down the lineup. Bennett always plays well in the playoffs. Like he's he's made for the playoffs. It's not it's not (laughs) like it's just the most recent year. He always plays well in the playoffs and. Mm What's interesting, Victor Mete is also another guy that we've circled as a potential candidate in Montreal at being exposed. So, and he's pretty good as well. Yeah. He's only 22, and I think if I remember correctly, he started playing in the NHL immediately after his draft year, and so just hasn't developed as quickly as as everybody else. And and in the meantime, he's fallen down the depth charts and has been healthy scratch. And they are not putting him on in the AHL because he'd have to clear waivers and they figure somebody would snatch him up. So the agent basically said, if you're not going to play his player, Victor Mete, then you might as well trade him and it'll work for everybody because clearly he doesn't appear to have a immediate future in in Mm -hmm. Montreal. And our final weekly one-timer. Andy has spoken to the governor of uh, AHL of America, the governor of America, and he's found out that they are likely to start this week. So you're doing a lot of digging, Andy. I'm not sure I understand what you're asking me there. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm trying to go with, remember earlier you were like talking to the governors of various states and cities, which I I actually didn't talk to any governor. I just have been confirmed that the governor of Washington had made a decision, but the AHL Uh is set to start. There was a, a bit of a, I don't know if conflict's the right word, but there was a, a collective gar- bargaining agreement that had to be agreed upon. Players approved it this earlier this week, and the AHL Board of Governors then was going to vote on it, but I think everybody thought it was going to happen, so hockey will actually start in the AHL. They were, that was the big holdup here. There you go. Well, it is kind of interesting. It's only starting in the U.S., yeah, and good point. Yeah. There's, already, there's three teams that bowed out that are not playing this season, and it's TBD about the Canadian teams because there's no schedule that's been released, and there's only, I think I think we were talking about it, five teams up there, and that includes the Stockton Heat, Stockton, California, <laughs> who have relocated to Calgary for the season. Hmm. So interesting much time, cold, but I there. think it's this is really about development and getting their players' experience and just getting them reps and playing. It's tough because I think I read something that 80 or 90% of the team's revenue is, is driven from ticket yeah. and gate revenue. And so without any fans in a majority of these places, they're not making much money this year. And so that's that goes back to your kind of comment about the labor issue that they had to figure mm-hmm. out because there's 
something had to give there. They were looking to cut salaries, yeah. And it's a similar situation, not with the salary, but with the WHL, right? Like those teams, it's all for development because they're, they're going to take a bath this year. I could use a bath. We close the show with our tweets of the week. <laughs> Andy, your tweet of the week. My tweet of the week comes from someone named Ariel Ben Abraham, who's a guy who lives like in the D.C. area. Okay. He tweeted out, hey, at Capitals, which are the Washington Capitals, why are $5,000 worth of your hockey sticks at my house and what time is practice? I think FedEx messed up. So he has pictures there. He received a shipment of hockey sticks. There's the Daniel Chara's hockey sticks from FedEx. They were misdelivered. And so apparently he's going to get them back to the to the Capitals. But could you imagine uh, seeing a big package on your front door and there's those big-ass longs of Daniel Chara sticks in a box? <laughs> there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, pretty funny how that happened. I do love his solution of just, hey, let me just tweet at the Capitals and let them <laughs> yeah. know that... That I've got $5,000 worth of hockey sticks at my house. I mean, wouldn't you have to keep one? I don't know. I mean, they're like nine feet long if there's a Dano chair. Like, what are you going to do with those? That's true. Yeah. You know? These out of the gutter with them, use them for the other things. Yeah, you don't even have to climb up, <laughs> climb up on a ladder then because yeah. the stick's long enough. Uh, my tweet of the week comes from what's kind of a tweet war between the Carolina Hurricanes and the Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> so the Penguins were wearing their new reverse retro sweaters, which uh, they're the ones that say Pittsburgh diagonally down them, and they're playing against the Rangers. So they said reverse retro sweaters equals fire. Carolina Hurricanes re- responded and said, bold move wearing these against the inventors of diagonal, because the Rangers always wear diagonal script right on their jerseys. The Penguins wrote back and said, bold move to steal the Quiznos logo to the Carolina Hurricanes. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next tweet says, Penguins fall to the Rangers on the road, three to one. And the Carolina Hurricanes sent them a $20 Quiznos card. says, you'll get them next time. Post-game meal is on us. Pretty amazing. Uh, what I love about that is the Hurricanes weren't involved in that game in any way. No, it wasn't either. It just, wasn't their team playing. Just, just were there to stir <laughs> stuff up, so... Uh, John, your tweet of the week. You know what? I don't have a tweet of the week. I want to go back to games on the radar. Whoa, whoa, And specifically, specifically, NWHL, they're playing their semifinal game on Friday and then their final game on Saturday, and they're both going to be on NBC Sports. Mm -hmm. That's a a TV network. Yes. We're talking about TV networks. Can I stream that? I think it's quite obvious whose fault it is that the NWHL tournament got canceled. Way to go. John. Uh, John, I'm pretty upset that you just performed a coup of tweets Ooh. of the week. Uh, I thought that we were done with coups in this country, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, that wraps up episode 123. Thank you again to Tim Ohashi for joining us, and thank you to the Seattle Kraken for letting us talk to him. Uh, please do leave your five-star review on iTunes. We didn't have one to read for you this week, but if you do leave one and it's five stars, then we'll read it for you next week. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Stitcher, subscribe on Spotify, leave your review, buy your gear from soundofhockey.com in the store. We'll talk to you all next week for episode 124. Cheers. Cheers.